Monday, August 20th, LA Podcast, first scot-free episode. Oh, scot-free. He got off scot-free. Yep. Uh, I'm here with, Hayes Davenport here with Alyssa Walker. Uh, Scott got married. Um, <laughs> he got, he got, he got secretly married on, uh, on Friday. Congratulations to Scott. He's on a, a very short honeymoon, I guess. <laughs> we have a very exciting guest for this episode. Uh, assembly member, Laura Friedman, our first elected official to be on the show. Uh, of, I'm sure every, we'll eventually get everyone. Uh, that's our goal is to make it, make Every it through single one, yeah. at the state, city, local, county level. Before we get to uh, our conversation with Laura, which is great, uh, we want to talk about a big thing of the news this week that Alyssa uh, in particular has like strong opinions about. We've talked a lot about uh, the tunnels that uh, Elon Musk and the Boring Company uh, are planning to build through different parts of L.A. They had a plan uh, to build a tunnel along the Sepulveda Pass, uh, kind of from the airport to, to Sherman Oaks. They wanted to expand that all over the city. Now they have announced a new project uh, that runs from uh, one of three different red line stations. Yeah, how do we decide? Are we going to have like a American Idol type? The raffle. Yeah, it's going <laughs> to uh, it, uh, either the um, Vermont Sunset Station, the Vermont Santa Monica, Santa Monica Station, or the Vermont Beverly Station. Is right. that right? Yep, yep. Uh, a tunnel running from one of those stations right to the Dodger Stadium parking lot. Uh, it would take four minutes to, to ride. It's very fast. About three miles. So that's really fast. Very, very fast. Yeah. Uh, and they have announced that they could carry, uh, I think they said, a 1,440 passengers per event. I wasn't sure if that was each way. I think that's each way. Okay. I think that that, I mean, so if not, <laughs> that would be... Yeah. So, let's <laughs> say, so let's say 2,800 passengers. Right. And let's just note that the capacity of Dodger Stadium, which is one of... The largest, if not the largest, uh, you know, we're talking over 50,000 people mm-hmm. and not including there's people that work there as well, which is something I always try to include when we talk about transit anywhere. There's a lot of people who work at these places, too. So. Right. Uh, but I, you know, I don't think they ever assume this to be something that everyone would take. However, the way it's being billed is that it's going to fix the, the headlines that, that you saw out there, I'll build this as solving Dodger Stadium's traffic problem. Yes. Uh, there was a Wired article, ESPN articles, uh, kind of announcing that this w- w- when this happened, it was going to solve traffic. Um, their approach is a little different for this one than for for the Sepulveda Pass route. They're going the more a traditional direction. They're getting environmental review, uh, d- going a little more methodically than they have in the past. But same as for the uh, Sepulveda Pass tunnel, they have the full backing of the city council. And they filed plans. They filed plans. They filed plans the day before they announced this. Um, And then they will just have to coordinate with Metro to, you know, these are Metro stations and Metro's, you know, Metro's got some underground work going itself. So yeah, they got it. They got it. It does say in like the, the description, like we will cooperate with Metro. So I'm not sure how much Metro has heard about this until sure. they filed those But plans. Metro historically has been they've, yeah, they've pretty been, supportive of yeah, these tunnels. They've, yeah, they've talked to them. Yeah. And I think a lot of this is because it's all private money. Uh, they've announced that it would only, like Elon Musk is putting up the money for this, I guess is kind of a test project because it clearly, it, the, I think it's fair to say that it is not designed to make money, this route, right. because it would be used 81 times a year, um, at 28, so we say, say 100 times a year with traffic. Uh, they said a dollar a ride, uh, twenty like two uh, twenty eight hundred people per day. So the potential revenue of this project is two hundred eighty thousand dollars a right, year. Right. I think it's safe to say the project <laughs> will gonna, <laughs> cost yeah, a little bit, a gonna, little bit more right. than that. So I think it's it's supposed to be a proof of concept. Right. Talk a little. You had a you wrote an article about this this week. Um, talk a little bit about this project and uh, the, this this approach. Well, it's important to to know first of all where else the boring company is doing other proof of concepts. You know, this isn't LA is not the only place they've been um, talking about digging. They have talked to Chicago. I think is the best example. There's been a lot of things said, but it, the city of Chicago wants to do something like this to get uh, a dedicated. Uh, 
loop. I guess they're all called loop. Yeah. It's going to be a little complicated in Chicago where they already have a loop, um, but yeah. the loop loop, I don't know what you call it there, but um, and they're going to have a, a line that goes from downtown to O'Hare, which there's just not uh, a great dedicated uh, way to get there unless you're on, you know, a, a train that goes above the you ground. You can take the train, but it is take the train. It's yeah. pretty slow. It stops. There's no express train. So this would be like maybe the same kind of thing, like, you know, a four minute ride or, you know, more than that, but uh, the same speed getting people to the airport. And when I first went to visit the boring company and talked to them about what they were doing, um, getting to LAX was kind of the conversation that they were having. And they're, you know, right across the, the freeway from LAX. And so you can kind of see uh, the traffic backing up right there in front mm-hmm. of you. And and it makes a lot of sense for a place like LAX. For, if you can envision maybe the flyaway getting put into a small tube that goes underneath the city and from several places all over the city, you could get to the airport in maybe 10 minutes. And your luggage, I think, was another really important thing to think about um, what a pain it is to like to get your luggage to the airport, you know, and, and you know, figure out where, you know, you're going to get to the place, you know, to the train or whatever. You're going to make like several transfers on the train to get to the people mover when that's eventually built for LAX. So this is like a really, this is a cool, it would be a cool idea. I don't like it f- applied this way mm-hmm. at a, a special use uh, situation on a low capacity transit system that is only going to be used a handful of times a year if we're going to be, not a handful, but you know, if we're going to be making the effort to dig this tunnel and put all the infrastructure in place and then it'll just sit there closed uh, a large amount of the time. And we already have a pretty good solution for getting people to special events and, and mitigating the traffic impacts. And it's the Dodger express that Mm -hmm. Metro um, already operates from union station and could very easily operate from these red line stations as well. There's nothing stopping them from putting some buses in like a Kaiser Permanente parking lot or Barnsdale or something like that and doing the same kind of thing. And as Laura Nelson, you're uh, the guest that was here. Our, well, <laughs> I wasn't here that day. I was you were Alyssa free that day. But as, as as Laura pointed out in her story, um, it serves about the same amount of people just as it is now and could and could easily be, you know, scaled up as the dugout loop is supposed to. So we're moving the same amount of people basically on buses very efficiently for almost no money. I don't know how much it costs Metro to drive some extra buses around, but it's not much. And the dedicated lane on Sunset is the key of what makes this a fairly efficient way to move people around. But also why I'm upset about this is because there has been really no effort to make Dodger Stadium more accessible to the city, namely the east and north side of Elysian Park, which are basically completely inaccessible unless you're in a car and want to cross a freeway or a river or climb a literal mountain um, that's on the back of the stadium. And I'd love to see the city um, and the Dodgers make more of an effort besides just proposing, say, a gondola, which is great and and privately funded, which they have, have proposed, which could be cool. But let's improve the walking and biking and other accessibility to the stadium so we don't have to take all these cars up there anyway. So I I do have a, that is a question I have. You are on record as being pro-gondola. Why is that like a better option than the tunnel? Um, Especially when you you talk about the the dedicated bus lanes uh, uh, from Union Station to Dodger Stadium, that's the same route that the the gondola is going to be taking. So it's even more redundant there. The gondola, I think, is, and it's probably the same. It's probably the same capacity. I think I mean, it's more. I, I think the gondola is more. I think they could, said five thousand. Okay, so that's a larger chunk of the fifty thousand people that need to get there. If you look at cities that have done these kind of uh, whatever you want to call them, aerial trams or skyways or things, I, I was just looking at, at a, 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 some images this morning of what Medellin has done in Colombia, right? Mm-hmm. So they have these um, hillside neighborhoods very inaccessible even for cars um there are a lot of neighborhoods that are very low income uh, 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 residents there needed better access to jobs and work you they have employed this really amazing network of these skyways um to connect people to jobs and you know where people live i think that the way that the the gondola is being proposed 
could be a real asset to allowing people to access Elysian Park, which is a very popular place for events and for people to get out in open space and, you you know, use recreation. Um, you can go Assuming to, it's open all the time. Assuming it's open all the time, which I think they said that they were open to. So, I mean, you go to even... Even in San Diego, if you go to Balboa Park, they have many, many ways to access this rich wonderland of green space in the city, um, including, you know, some cool, some cool transportation. Putting something underground is something you do when you want to get people very efficiently from one place to another, but it doesn't do a whole lot to enrich the streetscape. It doesn't do a whole lot to uh, solve problems around um, helping people get from one place to another safely on surface transportation. So you're basically just creating another bottleneck, I guess, of, of moving people around underground. But it's not going to do a whole lot except for those metro stations where it starts. And to, and Dodger Stadium already has, you know, it's. I don't know if they're going to plan more development or do... So that's a... Yeah, but I have a suspicion that uh, the, the whole parking lot area is owned by Frank McCourt, who used to own the Dodgers. Um, I, I'm guessing they want to turn that into kind of like a Dodger Town USA, right. like a city walk style complex um, that's operating all right. year round in Foxborough. Uh, like they have Patriot Place now for the right. football team. And so what I'm yeah. hoping what the gondola would do is be a part of this uh, effort to say, OK, well, we don't need as many cars to get up there now. Let's start giving some of that space back to cultural institutions, more green space, uh, housing yeah, is something so I'd love live to up see. There, uh, again, like uh, they by, used to. Yeah, Dodger Town, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Put, like, let people move back into the, the housing that was taken away from them when it was uh, Chavez Ravine. Yeah. So I think that, I think what the gondola could propose is a very vibrant community um that connects helps connect what's at the bottom of the hill to the top of the hill and mm -hmm. increases access to the park and this really important place um, in the city. But I also think the gondola should go down to the other side of the hill as well. I think the the problem mm -hmm. with it is just going back and forth from Union Station to Dodger Stadium. It's kind of pointless. Like the real accessibility problems are Cypress Park. Uh, Glassell Park, you know, the parts of the city that can literally look out their window uh, and see, you know, the Dodgers, yeah. Dodger Stadium, Dodger, the fireworks go off, but they cannot get there. There's no safe way to get there. It's not even just like driving, like there's no bus, yeah, really. You really have to no go all the access. way downtown yeah. and then back up. Just and that's to, the other thing about, over. yeah, and of course you can get yourself to the gold line and get down to Union Station and whatever, but that's the other part about the, the dugout loop is, I don't think we've even said the name yet. Um, why would you create this like very low capacity, single use, one way tunnel um, without looking at some of the neighborhoods that actually do need accessibility on the east side? And why not have it go all the way? You know, how, why can it just make a if he's going to do a proof of concept, like let's have it keep going past Dodger Stadium, get to the Gold Line station on the other side and maybe run it all the time. I don't know why it has to be just about the games yeah well they didn't mention that as a possibility but if they were to say this is the first step to prove we can we can do it going towards uh like like a longer route that it basically connects the red line to the gold line who knows maybe it goes even farther in the other uh direction and uh, goes through it goes like, to, yeah, it yeah it goes to goes the, the ocean purple line yeah, yeah goes sure. to dugout loot to, to the sea but that's the kind you're saying that's the kind of thing that you would um well, and if you, look, if you looked at the original proposal for the loop, uh, it did include a Dodger Stadium stop. It came up from, I don't know, there were, I, I couldn't really see where the map was going, but it was maybe a loop that came up from somewhere else, um, uh -huh. a loop spur. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, it did. But so it was already something that they had been thinking about is creating access to a place that didn't, that didn't have access in this way. And yeah, I guess if you're building out a whole network of, alternative transit onto alternative underground transit um it would make a lot of sense um so yeah if it's only the first chunk of what they they plan to keep doing that's great like i said i'm not really against the idea of the boring company's concept which i think is smart in several ways that in that it's smart smaller than uh metro's tunnels so they can build them a little bit faster they have all these other technological and uh they have all these things they're saying about how they can build tunnels cheaper and faster. So that would be really cool. But I think the problem that I have is with um, our mayor and our city leadership and 
Um, not really going to blame the Dodgers in this situation, but saying that something like this can solve traffic and prioritizing it in chamber uh, above very simple solutions like dedicated busways and walking and biking and road diets and crosswalks and things that will make it safer and easier for people to get around that actually will get people out of their cars. Yeah. I mean, I have a feeling it has something to do with the political expediency of uh, building a tunnel versus taking away a lane on Sunset, which they already did in the other direction. But to do that going through Hollywood, Los Feliz, Silver Lake, people would freak. Um, and I'm guessing this direct route to a sporting event is Olympics related, right? You, I mean, you've got to think that creating uh, access for a lot of people to get to up there is is going to be a motivation for you know probably anything we're doing in the city right now. But let's just compare. I looked it up. There are these high-speed escalators, for example, that you've probably taken. Not in this country. Our escalators go really slow. But there are high-speed escalators in Europe and, and many other uh, places in the world. Guess how many people could move up? If we had a series of covered, lit escalators that maybe you could walk up all the time. Maybe they'd turn them on just for games. They'd be fun places to walk. They'd also have regular steps next to them. You could also ride an e-bike up on a trail next to it. But guess how many people could go per hour on an escalator? Fast escalator. Uh, 1,440. 1,400. No, no, you're not. I don't, I guess, too high and like take (laughs) take all the wind out of your sails. 12,000 people. Oh my God. These are like some of like the busiest transit stops, you know, in the, in the transit stations in the world, like train stations. So just a regular sidewalk or street, you know, a wide sidewalk, 9,000 people can move up and down. So you can look at if you made that mile trip, um, just easier for people to walk up and uh-huh. maybe made it a pleasant walk and planted more trees and widen the sidewalk and maybe put a bar halfway up the street that uh-huh. you could stop at and refuel on your way up. Um, Vin Scully themed bar mm-hmm. on Vin Scully Avenue, whatever. And then you maybe put some escalators on the other side of the hill that could help people access their park as well as the, their ballpark. Many more people yeah. could get up there. I have a feeling that your vision for what is going to happen at the top of the hill, like in Dodger Town, of like housing and green space and all these different things, I have a feeling the developers will respond to that and say like, what What if instead we did a Buca de Beppo? <laughs> <laughs> cheesecake factory. Yeah, a cheesecake yeah. factory onto a Cabo Cantina and like a 4DX like Regal Cinemas <laughs> up there. Dodger of, walk. Yeah. The, yeah, like yeah. you were saying. And well, it snows sometimes. Well, one thing that you is very inspiring is the way that Dodger Stadium has been preserved. Um, it's one of, like I said, it's what, not only one of the biggest, but it's one of a handful of the original ballparks that they decided not to demolish and make into this faux brick uh, urban environment yeah. uh, stadium that they've done for everything else. Um, I like some, I like that. Well, that's okay. On. You know, there's no problem with okay. that. But we we have ke- we have decided to keep the stadium and keep it where it was for a very important reason. It holds this very special place in our heart and the look of it is is also a very a very beloved thing but i will say what they did in inside this the stadium if you go there these are local really smart local food vendors they've chosen and they've really i think captivated the spirit of the city in the stadium and all the modifications they've done to it very light modifications so i think this could be you know there there was a richard neutra development proposed for um, the dot the area that Dodger Stadium is in now, wow. kind of like this mid-century modern um, vision for multifamily housing. Dodger Town, Dodger Town. Uh, we should also say that it's a it is a beloved institution now, and they've done a good job with it since they built it. But the process of building it was not so great and they did displace a, true. a and ton they of people could, so they could put that, people back well that was i think that was the public housing development that was proposed you know yeah. and, and yes of course there's there's a problematic history with the site but yeah let now that we have this housing crisis crisis let's let's exactly do that let's let's give this people giant the, the land sea back. of cement that oh, thousands of people could, acres could live of parking on. spots that they don't even do anything with mm-hmm. ever and a great parkland that needs to be revitalized and you know Elysian Park needs a lot a lot of love too so let's let's extend the parkland let's talk to Laura Friedman 
We talked about a Vision Zero bill that she has. We talked about the gas tax. It was great. She rules, and it was so nice for her to come. And we're going to talk to her right now. Welcome, Assemblymember Laura Friedman, our first elected representative guest. Thank you for shaving off some of your your credibility and giving it to us. <laughs> Wait a minute. It you didn't tell me I was your first elected guest. It is not guest. refundable. <laughs> It's all, that credibility is ours now. We've had a lot of very reputable people. It's true. It's true. Journal, a lot of journal, LA Times journal, a lot of activists. You're just our our, our first representative. Uh huh. <laughs> I'm honored. Thank you. Uh, you represent the 43rd Assembly District. You were elected in, in 2016. What uh, what areas? Are we talking about in the forty third? I don't want it. This is not gotcha. It, like if if, if you <laughs> yeah. don't know any of the if I can't that we answer could, this, we could I've cut really it out. Got problems. <laughs> I represent Silver Lake from the lake going north, Los Feliz, Beachwood Canyon, East Hollywood, Outwater, Glendale, Burbank, La Crescenta, La Cañada. You were mayor of Glendale. You live in Glendale. I live in Glendale. You're on the Glendale City Council. Yes, but you've and had, I was mayor. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You've had many lives. Before that, you were in a movie development right. production. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, you produced a movie called House Arrest that was very important. I rented that from Blockbuster probably 30 times. Really? Yes. It was you. Yes. <laughs> That's great. No, it's a cute movie. It's it, actually, it was a very cute movie with the Olsen twins back when they were little and cute. That was It Takes Two. Oh, I'm sorry. Which was now another my own movies Which confused. was another right. really important House movie. House Arrest with Jamie Lee Curtis and, and Wallace Shawn. And Kevin Pollack. And Kevin Pollack. And it was Pollock. part of a genre from that time. It Takes Two was kind of this, too, about kids being in charge of their parents. Right. It manipulating Takes Two was a remake parents. of The Parent Trap, basically. Yes. They should do a remake of House Arrest with the Olsen twins. They should. To, that the, would be as the parents. Day. Right. Yeah. Present day. Right. Yeah. House Arrest was about uh, kids trying to get their parents, locking up their parents so they would work out no, their wait, differences. No, wait. No, I'm intrigued because a lot of people <laughs> loved It Takes Two, which is it why takes I went two into my mind. It Takes Two is a way more popular because movie. <laughs> it Takes Two is one of those movies where people constantly say to me that they watched it yeah. when they were kids, which makes me feel incredibly old because the movie is actually only from the 90s. Yes. But you're the first person to tell me that they were a big House Arrest fan. Now, we should track whether downloads of house arrest spike after this podcast and you'll be able to tell what your penetration is like out there in the world um uh, let's talk about something other than house arrest uh it's it's august it's kind of a crazy time in the assembly right first of all you had the um the softball game the assembly softball game the democrats yeah. versus Republicans. i'm really glad that's behind us now now we can move on to Wait, other but how things. do you play if there's so many more democrats how is that fair well, this is a this is a metaphor for the larger question. We definitely politics. have a deeper bench in the yeah. game, but they have some pretty serious baseball players because they're all most of them are from rural areas. Yeah, so they actually are healthy and fit <laughs> in a way that some of us city dwellers have to go to the gym to achieve. Yeah. So last year the Republicans won. Mm. This year, In we many beat ways. them. It tells you a bit about the type of game we play, that the score was 25 to 20. Wow. Okay. Wow, yeah. A lot, High of, a lot of slugging, yeah. a lot of offensive we firepower, liked, maybe yeah. defensive <laughs> we issues. Like, we, there's a lot of like hitting it over the fence. You know, yes. We like to... We're like swinging for the for the fence in, yeah. on the Democratic side. Now, the truth is, it's a lot harder... It's a lot easier to hit the ball and get to a base when you have people playing who if they throw the ball in the right direction the other person can't catch it very well which is a lot of what goes on in these kinds of games sure uh august is also kind of a do or die month for a lot of bills correct yeah like what starts monday this is like the blitz kind of yeah it's the blitz and there have been bills that have gotten through the process and been voted on and gone to the governor we've had two bills of our own signed Mm -hmm. but those tend to be either the bills that you worked on all last year, it was in the case with our water bills, and it took the whole year and over the year and through the interim to negotiate with all the stakeholders and get the bill to a place where it could get through. Um, or on the other hand, bills that are fairly non-controversial. And so if you're a smart office, you try to get those through the process mm-hmm. as quickly as you can and vote it on so they don't get held up in the part of the session that's about to start where the more difficult bills are hitting the floor. 
and floor debate. Go, you have floor, floor debates. amendments. And, you yeah. have people trying to amend the bills or, or negotiate amendments in the last couple of weeks of session. Bills going through committees, either getting out of the appropriations committees or not. And that's a place where sometimes bills get held either for fiscal reasons or for policy reasons. That's a place where sometimes leadership steps in and says, listen, we don't want this bill getting out. And so the bills just die mm-hmm. in, in that committee or various other committees. Sure. Uh, let's talk about a bill that's had kind of a long road uh, so far this year. This is a, a, a bill that you authored, Assembly Bill 2363, which is the it's now called the Zero Traffic Fatalities Task Force. Right. Um, this is an issue that we've talked about a lot on the show, something that Alyssa is obviously very invested in, has made a career out of antagonizing people over this issue. <laughs> um, many, many in your district. Yes. Uh, and it, the, the bill has had a few different incarnations, but it's designed to tackle a specific thing that makes streets dangerous, which is uh, speed. Talk about um, what you're what you're trying to address with with this bill. What people don't always know, most people don't know, and I didn't know this until I was involved in local government, is that the way that speed limits for streets are calculated is regulated by law. Mm-hmm. So cities do not have discretion, complete discretion, when they set or change speed limits. And in order to enforce traffic tickets, speed, speed citations, you have to have done within 10 years what's called a speed traffic survey. On every street. On every street you're going to enforce on. And you are not allowed to set your speed limits outside of a certain percentage of what 85% of the cars are driving. So it's not based on what the safest speed is. It's based on the, the, the average speed that most cars go on this street. Correct. So if most people are going at an unsafe speed, that's what the speed limit will be set at. It will be set very close to that unsafe speed. Mm-hmm. And um, there are historical reasons why that was done. Originally, it was done to stop speed traps Mm -hmm. when localities used to take a street that everyone was driving 45 miles an hour on and it would go into a new city and all of a sudden the speed limit would be 20 miles an hour and the police would sit there and ticket one person after the next now the incentive for doing that is much different now because local cities and municipalities get a much smaller share of that speed ticket of that ticket uh, fine than they used to Mm -hmm. in fact in most cities you don't pay for your enforcing police you don't pay for their time with those tickets. You know, you, right. As a city, you actually lose money when they're sitting and enforcing and giving out speed tickets because you get to keep such a, you know pennies on the dollar. The rest of it goes to the county and to other agencies. So the incentive doesn't exist anymore, but the law still stands. Sure. I only found out about this a month ago when uh, Laura Nelson, our last guest on the show, wrote an article uh, about this process that talked about how certain streets, and uh, especially in the Valley, uh, they've had to raise the speed limit on streets in order to do these tests. Correct. And what, what's happened in a lot of cities is there hasn't been a speed study done in a while. And in some cases, the cities may have even done it so they don't have to raise the speed limit. In my district in Burbank, there was a street that all of a sudden people were using as cut through traffic. They were speeding. The neighborhood said, Burbank City, you're not sending any police here and we want some enforcement because people are speeding all over our residential neighborhood. The city of Burbank went out and did a traffic survey. Because everyone was speeding, they were forced to raise the speed limit. And the city council had no choice but to authorize that. And of course, the neighborhood came unglued. Mm -hmm. So we, I tried to change this law to allow the cities to take accident data into account and engineering. So it would have allowed the cities to have some minor flexibility up to nine miles an hour only to say there's accident data that says that cars are driving too fast or there is an engineering study that says that because of particular engineering conditions on the road, that higher speed limit would be unsafe. And then the they would be allowed would be to, to reduce speed by up to nine miles an hour. Yeah, it's actually, yeah. it was only four miles an hour, but because there's a swing in either direction, you can oh, get okay. up to nine miles. It's, it's sort of technical. Okay. And we couldn't get that bill through. It It proved controversial. It proved controversial. And we had the California Highway Patrol and AAA, who advocates for drivers, come in and advocate against the bill. And because of that, Hmm. when the bill went to the Transportation Committee on the Assembly side, the committee changed the bill and we negotiated a 
study. Oh, love studies. To, to study. <laughs> yes. Well, normally we hate studies and we do, we don't always love studies, but this study, at least we were able to get a date certain at which time they would take their data and then change the laws based on the data and the conversation that all of the stakeholders would have around the data about how speed impacts safety, about how the posted speed limits impact how people drive. And, you know, there is some, there is certainly validity to the argument that if you, you know, a lot of times, and we know because people speed, that having a posted speed limit doesn't always change behavior. But I would push back and argue two things. Number one, the posted speed limit is still a signal to drivers, number mm -hmm. one. Number two, you can still enforce based on that, whereas otherwise you can't. And number three, sometimes cities invest in traffic calming measures that I believe should allow them to then lower or cap speed limits. And I'll give you an example. If a city invests in putting a bike lane in and says, Bicyclists, we now want you to use this street to ride your bicycles. I believe there's an argument to say you have now significantly changed the engineering of the road and you should be able to change your speed limit based on the presence of the cyclists, the engineering that you've done to now send a signal to the drivers and also to allow for the enforcement. But the law doesn't allow it. The law says, no, you have to have that higher speed limit posted until such a time as you can spend the money to do another traffic survey and basically prove that people are now driving slower. To me, that's fundamentally unsafe. And it's not safe for the, the cyclists and it's not fair for the drivers either to tell them the safe, this road is safe at a certain speed limit when you know it's probably not. So I do agree that if you really are serious about speed safety, I'm sorry, about traffic safety, changing your speed limit's not enough. You need to also do the engineering that makes the road safer, whether it's a road diet or a bike lane or changing the traffic patterns or adding street trees and all the different things that we know make an effort. But I do also believe that if you do all of that, you as a city should be allowed to change those speeds. I mean, there's a bunch of cities that have done this kind of citywide, like New York City, for example, is at 25 mile per hour max. And like Portland, uh, Oregon set it on all residential streets, I think is 20. 20 which is, is yeah, plenty. Yeah, 20 say. is plenty, and which is my favorite saying. Um, so, so would a city, so for example, I don't know if the city of LA would do this, but someplace like Burbank or Glendale could do that same kind of, you know, 25 hour, mile an hour, 20 mile an hour on all maybe surface streets or residential streets or non-arterial streets. They could, this opens the door for them to do something like that? Well, it's going to depend on what the study comes back and what the task force recommends. So right now we don't really know. My bill wouldn't have allowed unlimited changes to speed limits. You know, even as originally written, it was only based on data, crash data. So if a city was could say, listen, this particular area, we have crash data that's out of the norm that shows the streets unsafe or an engineering study where the engineers would look at it and say, listen, this road's got a certain curve or whatever those unusual conditions are, um, that would have allowed them to use that. So our bill wouldn't have allowed them to just blanket say, we just want to lower speed limits, just lower speed limits, and we're going to do that all over our city. Um, but it would have given, given them some flexibility to take reasonable measures to accommodate exist, you know, crashes or uh, engineering. So we'll see what the study comes back with. I, I would like them to take a look at some of the larger issues. For instance, if you all of a sudden put a new residential development in, if you put a new crosswalk in, if you have the presence of uh, unusual presence of children because of a dance studio or something else, should you be able to take that into account when you set speed limits? So um, I assume if you put in a school now, well, yeah, there's it, it, there's, there's a, a school, yeah, but it's only it, it's still limited, right? It's, it's limited not, to certain yeah, hours, right? Yeah, and you have a, a certain distance from the school, uh, that sort of thing. Hmm. Uh, so what's uh, what's next for this? Is it, it, this is out of committee, right? In this version, or? It's out of committee. It has not been signed by the governor. I don't think it's, it has not gotten off the, I'm not sure if it's gotten off the floor of the Senate yet. I'm going to have to look into that, but it has not been signed by the governor. Okay. So hopefully the governor will sign it. If people are interested in the legislation, please call the governor's office and let them know. Okay. Can, can they say that you sent them to talk to Jerry Brown directly? Well, I, <laughs> I think that what they, what's more powerful for them to say is that they're calling because they're really interested in the policy and mm -hmm. they think it's going to help make their own streets safer. And I think the, the point of introducing engineering to the discussion is one of the biggest and most important parts of it because studies have shown and, and DOT heads will tell you that it, enforcement 
doesn't really make a lot of difference. Sometimes the street has to actually be designed to make everybody slow down and pay attention. I love that you said that like going, driving past things that are interesting and make the street a vibrant place are actually proven to show that people will pay attention and drive. So engineering is the key and really the, the thing that we should be aiming for. And this helps us a lot. Absolutely. And we want to encourage cities to do that. So that's why we wanted to do the speed limit part as sort of an incentive or encouragement for them to look at their streets more holistically, not just the posted sign, but certainly the engineering of the streets. And that's a good segue. Engineering of streets. We have a very popular segment that we like to do uh, called Prop Lock and Drop It. Uh, That's not what I like to call it. What do you call it? Prop it like it's hot? hot. Yes. Uh, Our co-host Scott Frazier uh, is normally here. He named Prop Lock and Drop It. It's based on a song by the rapper Huey. I don't know if you're a fan. Uh, but Scott Frazier got secretly married yesterday, so he's not here. Not not secret anymore. No, it's not. Uh, he we we recorded on Wednesday night, and then uh, he didn't mention it at all during the record. And then as he was leaving, he ran into my wife and told her that he was getting married on Friday. So let me ask you, what is the etiquette here? If somebody gets secretly married, does that mean you don't have to buy them a gift, or yes, you still have that's to a buy huge them a relief gift? to the the podcast staff? We 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 did because. Because my wife was told she did volunteer uh, to buy a little something. Yes. So we did. But it's did. not like being invited to the wedding where you really have, like they have a registry and you have to decide if you want to go for the big ticket item or yeah. wait until there's one spoon left and say, I would have bought you something more, but there was only a spoon left. Um, well, we we eloped and we took the opposite position, which is no one had to spend money to travel to our wedding. Which would well, have potentially been in like Fiji or something. Right. And no one had to spend those plane tickets or anything. So theoretically, they could really pony up for some good gifts. Yeah, I wouldn't have given you a better gift for that. Because if I'm going to get you a really good gift, I want a really good meal and party out of it. It okay. doesn't have to be in Fiji because I would be kind of like, I'm not buying a ticket. Yeah. But it should be in town and there should be champagne and cake and some kind of option between a vegetarian and a chicken entree. Oh wow! What? I blew I blew that for my wedding. Between and a vegetarian DJ. Between, and a DJ between, wearing yeah. a tuxedo. Oh wow! This is <laughs> that's not what this segment is. This segment we talk about state ballot propositions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've gone through one through five, and we talked about nine before it was axed. Uh, and now we're on to uh, Prop Six. So you're not going in numerical order. We jumped ahead to nine because it was in the news and we were so excited to talk about three Californias uh, that we, we sort of couldn't wait. But otherwise, we have gone in numerical order, which is why it's so lucky that you're here for this one oh, to cool. do this very famous popular segment with us okay. um, about Proposition 6, uh, which is a repeal of the gas tax. Right. That was uh, Senate Bill 1. Uh, that was passed last year. Uh, the, you were basically elected to the assembly and they really kind of threw you into this uh this pretty big fight going on about the about the gas tax yes um talk a little bit about uh the process of passing senate bill one there were a lot of negotiations of which i was not a part Mm -hmm. but one thing that i made very clear when i heard about this potential gas tax was that i wasn't going to vote for the bill unless a very large amount of money went rather than to highways and roads, but rather into transit and active transportation, Mm -hmm. being walking and and cycling. Because in my district here in Los Angeles, what people really need is to get around the city more quickly and easily. And that means uh, light rail, subways, mass transit of all kinds, and also the ability to walk and cycle safely around our streets. So this bill has in it a very significant funding stream for all of that. And that's what made me excited about SB1. Yes, this is the bill that already passed. Yes. I just want people to, it's not the proposition that's on the Correct. ballot now, which Correct. is to repeal this right. bill. That's right. Um, the gas tax, what are the specifics of, of, the, of the tax of Senate Bill 1? Well, it will fund over 6,500 transportation improvement 
projects around the state of California. And I just want to be clear that what I'm asking for is a no on six. No on six. No on six. Because okay. the things that we usually I'm do talk that at about, the end, but <laughs> because the things that I'm talking about will go away. These will all disappear. Right. So yes. 6,500 projects that are currently underway right now in California. So that's just this year. Mm-hmm. And then every year in the future, there will be more money for additional projects. We all saw this horrible accident that happened in Italy with a bridge collapsing. Mm-hmm. Well, we have a lot of older infrastructure with transportation across the state of California. We have bridges that desperately need retrofitting and safety inspections and need work. This will be the funding source to make sure those bridges are all safe. This will be the funding source to make sure that highways and other roads are kept up so that we don't have horrible accidents because of potholes, because of road collapses, um, that sort of thing. This will be funding to double down on the investment that Los Angeles has made in its rail and its light rail. As federal funding seems to be uh, not forthcoming for some of these projects, like federal funding that was promised is kind of drying up. So maybe we do need to look to other sources. Oh, absolutely. Across the state, Measure 6, if it passes, Proposition 6 would eliminate 68,000 good-paying jobs and wipe out $183 billion in economic investment across the state. It's really important. It's important for us here in the area because this is going to be a substantial amount of money, not just in one-time funding, but in ongoing funding forever uh, for active transportation, for things like bike lanes and for pedestrian upgrades to make sure that sidewalks are safe and that we can invest in safer crosswalks in the flashing lights people need to get across the streets in uh, light rail and in subways around los angeles so the the repeal movement uh was initiated by a guy named carl DeMeo. DeMeo, DeMeo. he's a the san diego uh you say DeMeo. <laughs> I say DeMaio. San Diego talk show host, kind of uh, perennial political candidate. Um, sort of, sort of like a like a modern day Howard Jarvis type. I was just about to say. And just right? to be clear, so that this proposition is also being used to drive Republicans to the polls. Yes, that's really what it's about: is trying to to bring them out lacking other lacking other, other reasons motivation. so that right. they hope to have enough of a groundswell to hold on to red seats for both uh, state and federal office so this is on the ballot at the same time that that democrats have a chance to change republican purple right. districts that are more yeah. purple but currently held by republican congress people um, to hold on to those seats and also to hold on to assembly and state senate seats. So there's a, a reason here for this to exist way beyond mm. the actual ballot measure. And they've already executed that strategy Correct. once. They, yeah. they, they were able to recall a wonderful state senator in Orange County named Josh Newman based on the, the inaccurate information that if he was recalled, this gas tax would be repealed. And that's what they were literally telling people when they would sign the recall papers. And he was recalled and replaced with a Republican. So there's a a whole broader idea here beyond just SB1 and Mm -hmm. Proposition 6. Yeah. I'll ask a question. This can be my wedding present for Scott. Scott has a question uh, that uh, that something uh, he is concerned about in terms of the the marketing of SB1. Mm -hmm. Um, He says... Californians have shown that they are responsive to messaging about uh, climate change and the environment. It does feel like a lot of the messaging around uh, No on Six has been about uh, repairing roads and uh, transit projects, which, which are all very important things. But he wonders why not center the enormous damage Prop 6 would do to the state's ability to fight climate change. No, I think that's a great idea. And I've had conversations with the coalition that's working against Proposition 6 about the messaging. Because what works in Tulare County, what works in a rural area where they do have sometimes challenges with their roads, um, is not going to work in Los Angeles, where there are probably people that are concerned about the condition of their roads, but that's not my main concern. My main concern is really about finding ways to invest in other forms of transportation to get people out of their cars. 
uh, which this helps to do. And so I've talked to them about changing the messaging to focus on that. And we can have both. I mean, both forms of messaging, I think, are valid. And I will say, though, in terms of climate change, there is something to be said for reducing congestion through this, because when people are idling in their cars, you're causing quite a lot of greenhouse gas emissions and unclean air. So getting the roads to work a little better, getting the highways to be less congested by adding the carpool lanes so you have more people carpooling, which is what they're going to be doing with some of these funds, and reducing congestion on the highways, working on the ports so that you can get freight more quickly in and out of Los Angeles and and so that you don't have giant trucks with diesel engines emitting fumes into disadvantaged communities. There's money in, in SB1 to do all of those things. And so... Even with the road work, there is some uh, nexus to climate change. So recently we had um, you know, the federal government say we are not going to, uh, a long complicated thing, but basically the fuel efficiency of cars is at stake, something that California has pioneered. And also our gas tax is very, was very groundbreaking and the fact that we you know, are charging uh, extra money at the, the pump, which is something that people have grabbed onto. I think people um, who are for this and trying to push this and still trying to push this are claiming that it, the gas tax is going to impact people who drive a lot. Um, what What is the answer for that? Like, what's the talking point um, to, to address the fact that people are arguing that low-income people are um, going to suffer from this? Right. Well, there's a few things. First of all, low-income people are also impacted if they hit a pothole in their community and, and their axle uh, is damaged or they have to realign their tires. So there's a lot of ways of looking at this. I also want to say, and I'm going to get back to that in one second, I also want to say that the first gas tax in California, you know who 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 voted for, who got the first gas tax in California? You I have two us. guesses. Yeah. It's Ronald Reagan. That was one of them. <laughs> I just took your guess. I'm not going to let you, I'm not going to let you win. It was him or Nixon. It was, it was Ronald Reagan. Yeah. And we haven't raised that gas tax since the 1970s. So wow. it's been a long, long time in coming. Um, but I will also say that there are also funds that are allocated in the cap and trade dollars to incentivize low income people to buy used hybrids and use all, you know, um, high efficiency vehicles. And also for low income people, the thing that's going to be the most economically advantageous for them is to be able to take public transportation. So they don't have to own a car with all the expenses that come with that. The largest expense of a car is not the gasoline, it's the insurance, it's paying for the vehicle itself, it's all of the upkeep. So yes, I'm not minimizing the amount that the gasoline um, impacts people. And there was a lot of discussion around that and a lot of concern around that, which is why at the same time, we wanted to make sure that money goes into those disadvantaged areas in some ways, disproportionately than to other parts of the state so that we can relieve that burden and make sure that, that they feel a large part of the investment. And that's also why this emissions rollback attack at the federal level, which I meant to tie it back into at the end is so important that we keep that because California has been, you know, championing you know, these these low emission vehicles, these uh, very fuel efficient vehicles. And so um, you would actually, it would help you save money if you were able to, the state was able to help you get into this more efficient, maybe hybrid or, you know, electric vehicle. So that's a very, it's a very good point. And it kind of all ties together. It's really important. The argument of the federal government, I believe, was that lower emissions vehicles uh, allowed people to drive more and spend less money on gas, which was bad for the environment, which I think is an explicit endorsement of the gas tax. Right? Yeah. They're saying that... Well, the, that yeah, that was not a real point, though. But they I mean, did that, say I mean, that. They did. I got that. I got the EPA sent a release to my email address, and I'm just read it, reading it with like my jaw dropping lower and lower onto my desk. And also that, that more fuel efficient cars are not safe because they're lighter. It's, you know what? It's, <laughs> it's so stupid. I mean, they're, it's so ludicrous. It's not even like George Orwellian because it's not smart enough to be. It's just a stupid, stupid argument from a stupid administration. I mean, but who, there are the, there are certain groups that are not just, um, Republican. I, would you say it's very partisan, like it's Republican-Democrat kind of divide? Like you said, it's been a tool to almost recall. It's a tool to bring Republicans to the polls. So, There's so no question. See, yeah. But there are groups who align sometimes with Republicans that are also no on six, like 
the highway patrol officers, like law enforcement, like again, the firefighters. Huh? What There's, is it with these highway patrol? No, no, people? they're on our side on this one. Oh, they're no sorry, they're no. Okay, no, because they. That was so, confusing. Being to no me. is so hard. You're always saying no. I know. But but I think like what you said. We've actually seen. There's a lot of Republicans in California that have very strong environmental you know, yes. records and like, for example, Schwarzenegger, who, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, my guess was going to be <laughs> that, <laughs> that he was another person who was maybe trying to make the gas check stronger or something like that, because he's always had a pretty good record on this as well. But um, so what, so you're saying, but it is, it, it's just maybe a trick and that is an interesting or a tool or whatever you're, you know, you're I think that a that's, a, tool. that's a lot of it. And what's interesting is I always thought the Republicans were supposed to be the party about investing in our infrastructure and keeping the state's infrastructure strong. And we have crumbling road infrastructure in California. And we certainly need the investments in mass transit and public transportation if we're going to be a world-class city here and in the Bay Area. We are very far behind other developed countries when it comes to our transportation infrastructure. We know we're behind even the East Coast of the United States. And I thought the Republicans were kind of about building stuff. They're supposed to be the party that wants to fix the bridges and wants to make sure that we have infrastructure that is safe and sound. So when you talk to them directly about why they would not support this, you get all kinds of very bizarre answers about sort of conspiracy theories that the money's gonna go to other things. They, they sort of say, well, if the money went to transportation, we're okay with that. And then when you say, why do you think it won't? They don't really give you an answer. Mm-hmm. So uh, the money is in a lockbox based on another proposition that passed a few months ago. The money has to be used directly for these transportation projects. So it can't go anywhere else. It can't go into the general fund. It can't go for high-speed rail. It mm. has to go for these local projects. So I think the Republic, that, the, that the Republicans who are opposed to this and other folks that are opposed to this don't have much of an argument. That's prop lock and drop it. No on six. Uh, what else? Oh, do you have anything else you want people to make calls about? We're doing a lot of really great environmental legislation in my office and also legislation to help build more housing which is another huge crisis in the area, which has a very strong nexus to transportation. So couple if of anybody's bills just interested- A couple of bills got out of committee for that, right? A couple of bills, our bills got out of committee, other people's bills got out of committee. It's always good to take a look at what your representative is working on, whether you're, you're my assembly member, or whether you're my, in my district or in someone else's district. And if you like the legislation, let, let other people know, let your senator know, for instance, and let people in other districts so they can weigh in because we have to convince 79 other people in our own house and we have to convince 40 in the other house or at least half of them to vote on this legislation. So making those calls and sending the postcards about issues you're passionate about mm-hmm. are very important. And we say on the show a lot, there's always people saying no uh, to these changes. Like often those people are more active in terms of making the calls so if you like something, it can make a difference and uh, balance out the That's people a great that, point. that don't like it. That's a great point. Thank you, Laura. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you. That was great. Very exciting. I was a little scared. But she did a good job of making me feel comfortable. Of? I was just, you know, it's like, uh, it's intimidating. She oh, because ele- she's an elected. She's yeah. your official. She's my representative. Yeah, she, she, could, she could eminent domain my house. Yeah, you should. <laughs> Uh, Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week on LA Podcast.